This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy St. Patrick's Day edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Howdy, Sam. Hello. The Hello. Worst. Howdy is the worst word to use on St. Patrick's. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with St. Patrick's. Uh, as long as you didn't say top of the morning. Yeah. I don't wanna nobody actually says that. Ultra I don't know where that came from. <laughs> hey, welcome in. It's the St. Patrick's Day edition and a milestone edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. This is episode number 50. We made it to the big five zero. I, Happy I know. 100. That, that's pretty good. Uh, that means we're we've been doing these once a week, so uh, coming up on a year of podcasts. Yeah, is, that's incredible. Is, yeah, which is I think even the bigger. No- I mean, obviously it's a bigger number. Fifty-two is a bigger number than fifty. Good. I mean, now that we have that, set, uh, it's a more important. <laughs> we're breaking um, mathematical ground on here. Yeah, uh, a more important number to to have done this for a year. Um, so yeah, no, this is a, this is fun to to know we're still here. We're still kicking. I think you've now um, one and a half uh, Jake Siner also. I think this is oh. thirty episode 31 for you because I think you came on for episode 20. It's either oh. 20 or 21. So this is either your 30th or 31st. All right. Either way. I, I will let him know that next time. R.I.P. Jake. Um, yeah. No, yeah. actually, I texted Jake the other day um, because very randomly I, I talked with Jeff Hoffman at Rockies Camp, Colorado's number five prospect, and mentioned, oh, yeah, we did the podcast interview with you last June. And what was really cool – he said, yeah, I remember that because I was so excited to do it because I basically had not had any interviews since I got drafted because he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, hadn't pitched. He was like, that was like my first real interview. So I was really excited about that. So I texted Jake and said, hey, look at that. We made made an impact on uh, a former first round pick. So yeah, that's it, always fun. It's fun you say that, actually. When I talked to Dom Smith uh, down in Florida, you know, it was right after we podcasted and he was very enthusiastic, saying it was a lot of fun to be on here, which was nice to uh, – to hear that because it was so much fun to have him here too. So it, it sounds like we're actually having a small impact on some we're, of these guys we talked to. We're uh, it's and like you said last week, it's really cool to kind of put a name with the face of uh, or you know a face to the voice of guys that you've talked to and you've seen pictures of, you watch video of, but to actually meet guys at, at spring training is such a cool environment because everybody's so laid back, everybody's so excited to get rolling for the season, and uh, so that was a ton of fun, and that'll lead us right into three strikes for the 50th edition of the show before the show spring training wrap up. Sam got back to New York early. Earlier this week, I got back to Denver late last night. Um, the final few days that you spent down in the Grapefruit League, hauling around, what were uh, what were some of your your biggest impressions from the Grapefruit League this year? Um, yeah, uh, just just going back to, I mean, one more stop at Braves camp. Um, I know I talked about that a little bit last week, um, trying to gather some info for our prospect primers. Um, I, I think it's really interesting just how much the Braves really do have a plan for Swanson and Albies going forward. It doesn't sound so much as, you know, one of these guys might work out and the other won't. So we'll let it, they're going to let it, the shortstop situation figure itself out, but they really have paired it together. Um, and they, they talked about how they really want to have a plan going forward for a middle infield that they can have for years. And it sounds like Albies and Swanson are that middle infield. 
Uh, we've seen a lot of them playing shortstop and second together, flipping between the two positions. Um, so this is not a situation of we're going to let one, you know, win our shortstop position and maybe we trade the other or something or move the other to an outfield spot. They really want that to be a partnership. Um, so at every stop I've made with them, every time I've talked to somebody in that organization, they keep bringing that up of how they they dream of Albies and Swanson. Um, so it'll be it'll be fun to see what they do with those two guys to start the year. Um, I have a feeling that Albies is going to go to high A, and Swanson might get an an aggressive push to double A just because they they do want those guys getting their reps at at short um, every day. It's obviously a premium position. They want those each of those guys to potentially stick there. Um, and they want to give them every chance to do that. Um, but I wouldn't rule out the fact that maybe they they will play together, uh, you know, at, at high A. Uh, it would be a less aggressive push for Swanson there. Uh, he's only played it short season in the D-backs organization. And then just let them trade off between short and second and let that uh, that system grow between the two of them. Um, another one that kind of stuck out to me, I think, since the last time we talked, um, I went to Red Sox camp. Um, got to talk to Rafael Devers um, and Andrew Benintendi about a potential Salem lineup this year that could include those two as well as Yohan Mankata. Um, those three guys filling the first four spots in a Salem lineup that it should be just absolutely crazy. We talked a lot last year about the Greenville infield that featured Mankata at second, Devers at, at third, Michael Chavez, former first-round pick as well, getting some time in third in there. And uh, Javier Guerra, who obviously went to the Padres this year at shortstop, that was a loaded Greenville lineup. Now a lot of those guys are going to get a bump up um, and, and throw in Benintendi in that mix. That that lineup should just be crazy. Uh, the Red Sox weren't willing to confirm yet. You know, it was still early when I talked to them that Benintendi is going to go to Salem. Um, but given their history of centering, sending college guys that they take in the first round to that level, um, that seems to make sense for him. He could get a push early up to Portland, you know, if he if he shows that continued offensive presence that he showed everywhere, you know, starting at Arkansas, moving along right into the Red Sox system last year. Uh, but for at least maybe the first month, uh, we'll get to see that lineup together, and that should be really excited. And Devers and Benintendi were just equally excited about playing in that lineup. And the Red Sox have a really good young core of position players right now, so to have a lot of them together like that. Um, has everybody in the system so excited? That was the uh, number two rated position player group, I believe, correct? Yes. So yes, that right. is a uh, – and like and, all of the top end talent is probably headed to one roster. Yeah, and that, that's – when I wrote uh, the under-21 talent too, I gave the Red Sox along with the Dodgers A-plus grades for their under-21 talent and with the bulk of it also going to Salem um, and then Anderson Espinosa going to Greenville to start the year in what will be his first full season – I mean, that's just the the bottom two rungs of the full season rosters in the Red Sox system are are going to be the ones to watch, at least in April. Also, uh, as it pertains to Greenville, I was told last week there is a Greenville Drive reference in the latest season of House of Cards, which evidently dropped on Netflix two weeks ago, I want to say. Um, but apparently Frank Underwood, Kevin Spacey's character, makes a comment about how he had a disastrous first pitch at a Greenville Drive game. Have you ever seen him throw a pitch in the show? No, I've not. I watched the first season of that show. I haven't watched it since. I I watched the first season and then into the second season and then realized it was not good. (laughs) Uh, But if you can find it like the same way, everybody's like, oh, it's the best show. I didn't. I don't know. 
No, his, it, his it, southern it, accent's it, terrible, and it creeps me out. I love West Wing, and I love Veep, and I love political dramas. Yeah, that was just soap opera. Yeah, um, yeah, I wasn't into it. Didn't but anyway, if you find that's an GIF, MILB reference. Yeah, you find the GIF of him throwing a pitch. It is not natural at all. Like it's just the stiffest, you know. <laughs> like he releases from the elbow instead of from the shoulder. It's like a flick. It's just it's horrendous. Um, we so have yeah, something not, that Kevin Spacey cannot do. Yeah, it, uh, great for the Greenville Drive for getting a reference in that show, but that show doesn't really do well with baseball. That'll be the next thing. Well, the House of Cards night in Greenville. I'm surprised we haven't actually uh, heard that yet. Anyway, yep. that'll be a discussion with Ben Hill for a time to come. Um, right. Yeah, last uh, last stretch for me in the Cactus League. Uh, I did get to see Julio Urias, which was very, very exciting. That was last Friday uh, at Camelback Ranch at Glendale. That was a very electric first inning of work for him. His second inning of work showed you eh, kids 19 um, and got lit up a little bit in the second inning. Didn't even make it through first inning. He worked, uh, which I believe is the seventh in that game against the angels struck out the side on nine pitches, got a standing ovation walking off the mound. Second inning, it went walk, single, double RBI. It was, you know, kind of what you expect to see from a 19 year old in major league camp. But if you're the Dodgers, and you look at the the ceiling of that first inning that he worked, that is best-case scenario. And I tweeted out, I mean, it was a sellout crowd, and those people got a glimpse of what they're hoping to see in a Dodgers uniform for, you know, 15, 20 years uh, in Julio Urias. And he is filthy when his stuff works. Um, so that was probably the, uh, the most intriguing thing that I saw from a talent standpoint. But um, I really got a chance to drive all over the Phoenix area and check out camps, uh, went to the San Francisco Giants complex, talked with Shane Turner, the director of player development there, who is, and I said this to him at the end of the interview, not just blowing smoke, probably the most fascinating player development guy that I've interviewed. The way he explains just kind of next level things was so far beyond my understanding of the intricacies of baseball. It shows you really how intelligent those guys are and all the work they put in. Um, the conversation that we had was surrounding Christian Arroyo at the point where, you know, he first blew my mind, uh, which was talking about Arroyo being a prospect who can hit anything. And he knows he can hit anything. But being a professional hitter is not about learning how to hit everything. It's about learning what not to hit. So when you see a pitch and you think, yeah, I can make some solid contact with that, if you know more times than not, it's probably just going to be a hard ground out to one side of the infield, maybe lay off that pitch. Take the strike there and understand that a guy has to beat you three times in that spot in order to beat you in an at-bat. That kind of advanced level approach with a hitter, is insane to me. And uh, so that's uh, for our prospect primer story, which is coming up toward the end of the month. Um, that was really cool to get a chance to talk to him. I drove over, uh, actually caught an Arizona state game at the former uh, spring training home of the Oakland athletics, Phoenix municipal stadium, and uh, checked out their old backfields at Papago park, which is now city of Phoenix youth sports complex. That was really cool. Spent some time at Rockies and D backs camp at salt river fields, a talking stick, which is the best baseball facility on the planet for my money. Um, there got a chance to catch up with, Last year's top-rated uh, MLB draft talent, Brendan Rogers, will be hearing that interview coming up later on in this edition of the show before the show. I was really impressed with Brendan Rogers because there were a lot of things that floated around about him toward the end of his first professional season that people felt like he was overwhelmed by pro ball, felt like maybe his energy level wasn't there toward the end of the season. That's a kid who came to work in camp. And, uh, I mean, he's 18 years old. He's a behemoth, uh, really big kid. You could tell he spent the offseason putting on some uh, – some. I don't want to say 
bulk, but I think rounding himself out to know that it's going to take that extra strength, that extra stamina to make it through a 140-game season. So we'll hear from Brendan Rodgers coming up a little bit later on in the show today. Uh, talked with Jeff Hoffman for a Q&A that's up on MILB.com uh, right now as well. Actually, up over on the, the Mill Perspective side on the blog. Uh, went over to Indians Camp, checked out Reds Camp a little bit. Uh, but one of my most interesting stories came from Angels Camp. And that is a thing that you would not think uh, would play into a, a minor league baseball prospect focused site right now. But that's kind of the reason why I went and talked with Mike LaCasa, who is the 30 year old director of player development on the angel side. And I basically said like, Hey man, everybody says your system's terrible. Uh, and we know that you don't think that tell us why angels fans should believe in this system. And he said, we understand what people think of it. But when you look at our major league team right now, you see guys like Cole Calhoun, like Hector Santiago, guys who are in our system who are not highly regarded as prospects, who have come up and become impact talent at the major league level. Uh, he said he had a conversation with a national writer the other day who said, yeah, looking back five, six years, you guys probably had a top 10 system, but at the time it was rated as the worst system in baseball. So the Angels are very committed to the talent that they have, where all of the national prognostications for that system are it's really not that good. It's really devoid of talent. So obviously that's going to be the company line to a certain extent, but it was interesting to hear that from inside uh, the Angels complex. That's another prospect primer. Uh, I talked with Jaron Madison of the Cubs complex. Fascinating dude and a really, really interesting interview about all the talent that's still in that system. My point with him was, you guys graduated so much last year. Do you think people forget? Do you think people are sleeping on the talent that's still here? And he said, yeah, to an extent. And it's kind of nice for us to be able to just go about the business of graduating the next class of talent it's not just oh we got all these guys to the big leagues and then all of a sudden that's it there's still a ton of talent in that system um and also final piece of that conversation will go into strike two um i'm hoping to put together a story on the venezuelan summer league and some of the opinions now from both venezuelan players and people who are involved in that league as to what it means to have that league shuttered for 2016 Teams had been pulling out year after year after year. The Cubs are actually the final team to do so. So I had a really interesting conversation with Jaron Madison about that, about his team's commitment to still be scouting in Venezuela, what it means for young kids who are growing up in Venezuela now. Uh, and I also, to get that perspective, talked with uh, Rockies all-star outfielder Carlos Gonzalez, who did not play in the, the VSL, but he's played in the winter leagues down there. He's played for Team Venezuela and WBC. Um, just to kind of get his take of what it means now if you're 14, 15, 16, trying to get signed, trying to play baseball professionally, what does that mean now to not have that avenue uh, going forward for the VSL? So that'll be uh, hopefully up on the site by next week. But um, spring training is – I was so, so bummed. Like there's no place I love more in the world than my hometown, but I could not – like landing in Denver last night, I was like, ugh, i got to be home now. Spring tra- There's nothing as cool as spring training. It's just such a different atmosphere of just people who really – enjoy the game yes for the fans who make that that travel um especially for us you know moving to the backfields the ones who go back there um really know their stuff i have to say that you know they're pointing out players a lot of times they're looking for autographs but in doing so they know every player his background where he was last year uh and you know you combine that with just the sunshine and the warmth and it's just a healthy dose of optimism uh you know to to be surrounded by that for you know, a couple days for, in my case, 10 days, um, was really neat to see on my first trip. 
uh, and just talk with the guys. It's just so much more open. There's no stress yet. You know, you're, you're opening the season. You're seeing what you have. There's, again, that optimism there. Um, so if anybody has ever thought about making the trip, I, I do heavily recommend it. Um, if you can find it in your budget and your in your time, that it's definitely worth it. Strike two today, Sam. Uh, it's the time of year where minor league players start figuring out where they're heading, uh, or at least having a vague idea of where they're heading. Teams, this is how it works when we talk about the backfields. Teams are separated into groups. The minor league ranks are all separated into groups. Triple A, double A, class A advanced, class A full season. The rookie ball guys kind of mix in and around everywhere with them. Uh, but on the major league side, top prospects are now being reassigned to minor league camp and there I think you kind of get an idea of all right this is what my 2016 is going to look like I'm bummed to not be in big league camp but let's get to work uh some of the big names who were sent back down to minor league camp as of Thursday uh or check that as of uh Tuesday actually uh two big ones from the podcast perspective Ian Snell top prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, top pitching prospect there, uh, one of the best best pitching prospects in all of baseball. He was reassigned uh, to minor league camp. And Dom Smith, who just joined us a couple of weeks ago from Mets camp, uh, he was reassigned to minor league camp as well. It's that time of year. Who stands out to you as far as the uh, the reassignments have gone? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to um, talk about a little bit, a piece I wrote last week, which or at the beginning of this week, um, which was just how the next wave of shortstops is coming. Um, last year yes. we saw we saw you know Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Addison Russell. Year before that, Xander Bogarts in Boston. So much of the best shortstop talent right now in the game, minus maybe Troy Tulowitzki, is younger than 22, and we're beginning to see the reinforcements coming. We already know Seager is going to be a major leaguer this year. Uh, you know, on opening day, he hasn't been cut yet, but J.P. Crawford was cut this week uh, from Phillies camp. Um, he's going to be starting the year in AAA Lehigh Valley. Um, I talked to him very briefly about you know what, what what's happening in the shortstop revolution, and he he was saying you know one good thing is it's not just defensive shortstops anymore. It's shortstops who like to swing the bat, guys who are taking pride in their overall game over just you know providing premium defense at a premium defensive position. Um, so he's definitely in, in line with that as a you know top 10 top 5 even depending on who you check overall prospect um he's definitely part of the Phillies plans even if he was cut this week on that same day uh the pirates sent down both Tyler Glass now and Jamison Tyone um they should be two parts of a very very interesting rotation in Indianapolis at the AAA level uh i really like Tyone's quote uh pirates prospects which is a a fan a, a site i recommend uh for bucks fans um, said in, in a quote with them, that's the last time I ever have to sit in the office and be sent back down. And he says it so matter-of-factly that it's just like, that's it. You know, I'm going to be caught up this year. My future's going to be in the majors, and that's it. And especially for a guy who's had injury problems in the past, um, to have that confidence is really what you need anyways to make the major league level. Um, but it's really a neat quote to see um, that he's just co so confident that come next year he's going to be major league camp beginning to end start the season with the club and go from there. Um, so those are the kinds of the ones that just stuck out to me this week. It's just those guys who are being cut now, but you know it's not for a very long time. That is a really pretty awesome quote, and it kind of gives you the mindset of a lot of these guys. I talked with Braden Shipley in Diamondbacks camp who said somewhat the same thing, that this is a, you know, a feeling you don't want to have much more um, throughout your career. But there are positives for those guys who realize, okay, now I can focus on, I can get out of the, you know, the intensity of major league camp 
I can focus on what it means for me to get prepared for wherever I'm going to start the minor league season. In his case, it's probably going to be triple a Reno. Uh, but that is uh, it's a really interesting mindset. And it's a good mindset for those guys to have because you don't want them to lose that taste of what it was like to be in the big league clubhouse, to be around the energy of a major league team uh, on a daily basis in, in spring training. And to know that that is very close for those guys, especially for, for Tyone and for Shipley, that's a good thing for them to keep uh, continually thinking of. And at the same time, then you understand that it's all contingent on you going and getting your work in at AAA and accomplishing the things you need to accomplish there or double A or wherever it is for these guys in order to be back there on a full-time basis. So um, go check out. We're be, we've been doing uh, reassignment stories daily on the site, so you can go check those out at MILB.com right now as well. And, uh, yeah, spring training games. I don't know what it was like in the uh, in the Grapefruit League, but spring training games are starting this week, late this week and over the weekend for minor league teams in the Cactus League. And I think everybody is beyond ready for it. They were, you know, first few days in camp, you're just taking grounders, you're taking VP, you're doing your positional work, whatever. And then you get into inter-squad games. And there were some really good Rockies camp really uh, especially stood out. There were some pretty intense games going on. I mean, guys were really, really into it because it's not – the drudgery of just doing position work, just doing drills. But once you are able to finally get out and lace it up against an opposing team, that's when it really starts feeling like baseball season. Yeah. I was getting there at the end of that, that week of, you know, those guys just doing drills and you could tell they were trying to squeeze as much blood out of that rock as they could of just little things of excitement. Cause I, I imagine just for me, for watching it, every team, every day, just going through BP, going, you know, whether it's hitting a homer guys getting excited about that or, I was actually at Twins camp and uh, Todd Van Steensel made a nice dig at first base when he was doing his <laughs> pitcher's fielding practice and the entire camp just went nuts. <laughs> and he was doing a dance as, as we expect Todd Van Steensel to do, um, you know, friend of the pod, friend of the site. And uh, yeah, so that was that was really funny to see. But yeah, you, I mean, once these guys get into games again, they're starting to face new competition uh, faces they haven't necessarily seen yet. Um, that's when it gets really interesting. Funny that you mentioned Todd Van Ciesel because he posted on Instagram a photo of himself uh, coming off the mound trying to field a grounder, and it says, quote, spring training where we do PFPs every day, so I'm prepared to field the ball the three times a year it gets hit back to me. <laughs> hey, so that's kind of, you, know, you got to do it. Yeah. yeah. I was talking with uh, with Rockies farm director um, Zach Wilson kind of about the, the same thing that you were talking about, squeezing the, the blood out of the rock. And what he said is so different about spring trainings now the Rockies did not even go through a period where it was just getting pitchers and catchers ready. They had so many guys there early on. I mean, through December and January and into February, they just started basically with full squad work. So that's the difference. I think for so long it was, let's get these guys in, let's get them back into shape. That's where that first week or so of drills and, you know, getting yourself back acclimated to baseball speed was all about. Now, Guys are there. I mean, guys live at the facilities, it seems like, over the offseason. Uh, and so they're doing their work. They're there with the coaches. They're there with the training staff. They're there with the strength staff. Um, so that is a very different thing about spring training nowadays versus what it was, you know, even 20 years ago. Um, so, yeah, this is the most exciting time of the spring for uh, for guys on the minor league side because it means that baseball is very, very close when you start scrimmaging between organizations. Uh, so that's our spring training roundup for this week if you will we will have more from spring training coming up here in just a little bit 
Rockies top prospect Brendan Rogers will join the show from uh, an interview down at Cactus League action at Salt River Fields at Talking Stick. Uh, and strike three this week is a story that uh, we really are are kind of you know a little bummed to have to address in the way that we have to address it. But uh, a story that came out yesterday from out sports uh which is a gay sports news site the leading gay sports news site um and is always one of the the really interesting voices to listen to uh as it comes to the issue of gays in the professional sporting world and a very difficult story that came out from them on wednesday former cardinals minor league pitcher tyler dunnington who was a draft selection in 2014 the st louis organization came out as gay and said in an email to out sports that he retired from professional baseball after just one season because of homophobic and violent comments that he heard teammates and coaches make during his time both in college and in the minor leagues uh, a really really unsettling story um, that really surrounded uh, in large part a comment that a coach made uh, in a reference to the Matthew Shepard killing in Wyoming back in the 90s um, a really really disturbing story to have to discuss and it shows there's a lot of work still to be done on the inclusion side. And we've had Billy Bean on the show, um, who was MLB's vice president of inclusion. Uh, it's You knew it wasn't going to be an easy road. You gained a lot of confidence in the movement when David Denson came out and was met with uh, so much um, really love and embrace from the Milwaukee Brewers organization and fans around baseball. But this is a story that shows the ugly side of that, and it's it's – awful for anybody to have to think about that but for what tyler dunnington had to go through you don't want anybody to have to go through that and just the courage he showed by telling his story i mean this it undoubtedly is not the only person to have gone through this um just you know right the amount of people in sports david denson is not the first gay baseball player ever he's the first one to come out and tyler dunnington is not the first gay baseball player to ever be to go through this type of and uh, He's not the only one in the minor leagues right now either. Exactly. Exactly. Those you are know, just numbers. That's just society. Right. And to know that this is still happening, you know, these stories do need to be told and it takes a lot of courage for them to be told because it's somebody a who's coming out publicly and b willing to tell that, you know, that they did not feel comfortable and that people were actively talking about killing people like them out in society. Not just like it, even if it was a joke, they were just saying like, Hey, that feeling you have inside that you haven't told anybody about yet. Yeah, we kill people like that in Wyoming, is what one coach said just flippantly. And that is the culture that they are dealing with. And it's the culture, you know, that needs to be changed. And I think there there are positive steps being made. I mean, you know, God bless Billy Bean and all the work he's doing right now. God bless David Denson for speaking publicly and everything he's going through. Um, And everybody who's helping the LGBT movement move forward and it's 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 not a easy process. It's not a light turning on. It's a long road. And th- these stories coming out is what helps change the narrative. It it goes from, you know, just imagine what they're going through. It's through this is hard evidence of what they're going through. Um, so I, I'm so sorry that Tyler Dunnington had to go through this. Um, he's looking to get back into baseball. He uh, reading the email he sent to Tout Sports. Uh, you know, if you get a chance, please look it up, please read it. Uh, it's obvious that he loves the game. He's trying to get back into it in a front office atmosphere and it's front office capacity. I hope he's able to do that. I hope he doesn't ever lose his love of the game over this. Um, and I hope in the future that nobody 
no LGBT person in sports anywhere um, ever has to deal with something he's gone through. And I think this is starting to change. I hope it's starting to change. Um, but just th these type of stories is what helps hopefully push us forward and realize what really happens on the, on the underbelly. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And I actually, uh, very serendipitously, actually had an interview yesterday scheduled with David Denson in the afternoon. Um, this came out in the morning, and uh, you and I were texting about it, and I knew I was going to have to ask David about it. He had not heard the story when I asked him about it yesterday afternoon. But his message was the same. And we're going to hear from David coming up here in a little bit because I have a story up on MILB.com today about the fact that people kind of forget David Denson's a hell of a good baseball player, too. His story overshadows the fact that he's a legitimate prospect, uh, a guy who can hit with some pop. He is a hulking dude. He's 6'4", and I think 254 is his listed weight. So he is a big, big guy. He's being moved to the outfield this year. The, the Brewers really want him to be able to focus on being an offensive threat, hitting in the middle of the lineup, driving in runs, being able to bash some homers. So there's a story up on that uh, at MILB.com. But because of the timing – I did ask him about uh, this story with Tyler Dunnington yesterday, and like I said, he had not heard about it, but his message was the same, and I think it's coming across a little dry when people read the quote because I've had people tweet at me and say, well, what does he mean by this? What David's point is, and his direct quote was, the only thing I can say is let your game speak for itself, and I think that's the part that confuses people. You'll hear his full answer here coming up in a little bit. What David meant was coaches, player development staff, trainers, strength coaches, players, nobody should be questioning you as a person and especially as a baseball player based on your sexuality. His, the next quote was, your sexuality should have nothing to do with your ability. If you're a baseball player and you can play, that should be it. That's where it begins and where it ends. And that's David's point. That's been David's point since the beginning. And the thing that struck me the most about David Denson, and he said this in interviews since he came out last August, he didn't come out to get anybody's approval. He came out so he could live with himself knowing that he was being honest in the life that he led. He said, I am a gay man. You can't beat the gay out of me. I'm not going to lie and be somebody that I'm not. Uh, and one of the quotes that he gave me when we were just kind of talking after the interview was, if I'm going to give myself to baseball, I'm going to give 100% of myself to baseball. I'm not going to give 80% and lie about my identity or who I am as a person. That blew my mind the maturity and the strength that it takes to be able to do that uh, was pretty impressive. And uh, so it was, it was tough. I could tell for David to have to hear that somebody else had gone through this and it had to go through it, you know, not simultaneously, but basically at the same point, the season prior to when David went through, um, you know, his story coming out last year in the Milwaukee journal Sentinel from Tom Hodricourt. Um, So it is, it really shows you the the road that is still to be walked and the work that is still to be done. And yeah, I mean, you feel awful that Tyler Dunnington had to go through this, but you hope that the bloodletting of him telling this story ultimately furthers the the cause of inclusion in baseball. And I hope he gets a sweet front office job out of it because he sounds like a smart kid. Uh, went to you know played at the professional ranks, went to a good baseball school in Colorado Mesa College. Um, you know, get this kid, uh, let's get a sweet front office job. Somebody he was he was last month or last fall, I guess, was at the uh, MLB uh, Diversity and Sports Summit. You know, somebody give this kid a job. He sounds like an awesome kid. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's certainly doing the right things and. Terms of trying, you know, trying to get into a front office, um, like anybody else would. So, you know, we wish certainly wish the best for him all, all going forward, and uh, you know, hopefully somebody gives him a shot and he can show everybody what he can do 
um, you know, out in the open and who he is, you know, for everybody to see. By the way, his one 2014 season, 4-2 and two record, 3.09 combined ERA, struck out 29, walked 11 over 32 innings. So uh, for all the people that uh, were tweeting disparaging things after the story came out, um, eh, go look at the numbers. This is not a kid whining because he couldn't make it in pro ball. He obviously could make it in pro ball. Um, so do some soul searching before you lob comments like that on social media. Um, so coming up next – we are going to hear, and that was the majority of the comments lobbed after David Denson's story was, that's great, who cares, what can he do on the baseball field? We're going to tell you what David Denson can do on a baseball field. Uh, last year was a top 30 prospect in the Brewer system, dropped off of those rankings because of a down season, but obviously was going through quite a bit. So we're going to hear from David Denson as to what he sees for himself in 2016 and beyond, and... You will hear in context David's comments about Tyler Dunnington uh, and what that means for athletes like Tyler Dunnington going forward um, because it's uh, it's going to be a constant process in this, uh, in this world that we live in and in the world of sports as well. So David Denson coming up on episode number 50 of the show before the show next. I know you just got down a few days ago, but how is it getting back into the routine? Um, it's actually great. I'm loving it, loving back, being back on the field, loving being back around my teammates and just coming out here and playing the game. Let's talk a little bit about last season and um, being able to finish really, really well and finish a full season ball, get back to, to Wisconsin and all that. Um, I know that's something that seems like it served the Brewers really well. I know when you went back down, uh, Monte Harrison did the same thing, and it seems like that kind of gets guys into a role. What was it like going back to the Pioneer League and getting to be around, you know, teammates you're familiar with the setting you're familiar with and get yourself you know righted and feeling pretty good at the plate um it actually felt great it actually allowed me to go down and um open up my eyes a lot it allowed me to get there and actually zone in on what i needed to work on especially when it came to nobody wants to be sent down obviously but when that comes into play all you can think about is you got to get stuff done yeah. go out there take care of what you need to take out take care of and stop pressing so much yeah. just let your skills take care of itself what do you think is the biggest adjustment from making that leap to full season ball going back and you kind of get to see um maybe i don't want to say a watered down version but a, a kind of a less strenuous version um in the pioneer league of what you're gonna see when you make the climb did you notice things differently did you observe them differently when you got back into the into the midwest league than what you saw at the beginning of the season um yes um what I can say, the only couple of differences that I seen or that I experienced was one was mindset for one, and two is consistency. Um, when you get up to a full season, your mindset has to be completely different. You have to get into the mindset that you're going to be doing this every day for a full season, and you got to do whatever it takes to get your body into that shape. And when it comes to consistency, you got to be ready to go out there every single day, give it 110% without constantly thinking, well, what if I take this off? What if I take that? There is no taking no days off. You got to go at it 110%. To be able to get, uh, you know, promoted toward the end of the season and finish strong up there, how much confidence does that give you coming into this year? Whereas you didn't finish in a lower level, you know, you're able to finally get back up there and make sure that you go out on a good note. What does that do for your confidence-wise coming um, Extreme confidence. It just shows me that if I'm able to push through that wall and make it to where I started, why can't I push forward and make it to the next level yeah. and the following level and continue all the way up to getting to my dream? When you um, came out last year, you get to immediately, you know, it's a lot of stuff mentally that takes pressure off. And immediately it seems like you benefited. I think you had hits in four of your first six games after the story came out. You go up, you start really strong in Wisconsin. What did that do for you, just being able to kind of go to the field, know that it's baseball, and know that, you know, you're in a little bit more comfortable place? Um, exactly that. Um, it takes the complete stress factor out of it. 
Um, I know a lot of people say that when it comes to your personal life or your sexuality, it's away from the field. But when you're in a group of guys like this and you're around them for more than half the year, you guys become a family. And the last thing you want to do is break up that, that friendship or that bond and that brotherhood. And you don't want them to feel awkward or uncomfortable in the locker room when personally yourself you don't want to be judged so when my teammates embraced me and took me for who I was my mindset was completely different I was able just to focus straight on my game how much do you think that helps you now coming into this year that you have that ability to just focus on you know being a prospect I mean you're not only in a good position um, mentally and physically and stuff but you're in a good position in a good organization where as far as first baseman goes a lot of opportunity for growth for you what does that do for you now coming into this year Um, coming into this year it just goes forward um there's nothing that's holding me back anymore my mindset is completely go out there give it everything you got and whatever happens happens just go out there and i I hate to say it but it's true go beast mode like nothing if nothing's holding you back and nothing's on your mind focus on the game go out there take care of business and show them what you got let me ask you this it seems like you did a really good job cutting down strikeout rates in the second half last year yes i know you're taking a lot more walks too um what was your biggest emphasis this offseason is that kind of one of the things that you've been told to work on or or how have you approached coming into this year um in offseason i actually worked out a lot on my weaknesses Mm -hmm. when it came to pitches and pitch counts in certain situations i feel like last season when i got into certain counts i was very passive Uh and even though i got on base here and there i feel like i could have gotten on more if i would have taken if i would have taken initiative in those certain situations and especially when it comes to um my position in the lineup or when i'm hitting certain pitches that pitchers are throwing me you got to focus on their routine got to focus on their situations that they're in you got to focus on their patterns Mm -hmm. so I did that a lot in this offseason I watched some footage and I just took it all in and with everything I'm able just to focus I could see the ball to the hand more and go from there just crush the ball but and that's that leads perfectly into my next question I was talking with uh, Dom Smith in the Mets system who said that he's been told everybody's always why doesn't Dom Smith hit more homers why doesn't he hit more homers and the Mets have consistently told him power's the last thing to come especially for young guys coming out of high school um, have you kind of found that to be the case that, I mean, you hit the ball hard no matter what, eventually those are going to start turning from shots in the gap to shots over the wall. Is that something you think about, or is it just kind of that will come eventually? Um, it's not really anything you think about, honestly, mm-hmm. truthfully. Um, when you're up to bat, you just focus on see ball, hit ball, and drive it with some conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, in certain counts, you could start getting into the factor of, okay, I'm going to crush this ball, yeah. or okay, I'm going to drive it to this part of the field. But if you always have that constant mindset of, I'm going to come out here and I'm going to hit a home run, mm-hmm. I can tell you now it's not going to happen. So it's more of a a realistic situation to get into your mind. Um, When you start forming that home run swing and guys start breaking things off, Mm -hmm. you're more likely than not, you're not going to get it. So it's about see ball, hit ball, hit it with some conviction. And home runs are pretty much mistakes. And mistakes is in if the pitcher leaves it there. Show them that it was a mistake. When you uh, were coming out of high school, um, what do you think, if you could go back a few years, talk to yourself when you were 18, you were coming in the draft, what do you think you would say the biggest thing to look out for in pro ball is as far as getting used to the routine? I mean, the Pioneer League's brutal. You're riding buses around. Midwest League travel's a little bit easier, but it's not great. What do you think you'd say is, you know, keep tabs on this because this is a tough adjustment? Um, I would have to say keep your eye on the grind and keep your eye on consistency, mm-hmm. mainly the factor that I think about. Um, and rest. Get as much rest as you possibly can. Um, When it comes to this game, you're playing 100-plus games, and you're playing eight months out of the year, including 
workouts and everything like that, like you need as much rest as you can. Your body is going to have to take its time to recuperate. And then when you get to the field, let everything go. Just focus on your game. Have tunnel vision, basically. And go out there and take care of your business and don't let nothing or no one hold you back. Two more things for you. Uh, there's a story today that came out. You might have heard uh, Tyler Dunnington, who is a minor leaguer in the Cardinals system, uh, basically said he retired because last year he was had not come out yet, and his teammates, I guess, had said some pretty disparaging things in the clubhouse. Um, to know that that's something that somebody else had to deal with, and he didn't get the support that you did. Um, what does that say about the strides that still have to be made? I mean, the Cardinals have already come out and said, we're taking it very seriously. We're looking into it. Billy Bean's on the same. But, I mean, it, it shows that there are still guys who are going to deal with some of that stuff where you were embraced. There are guys who are still dealing with tough things. What would you say to a kid like that or to other kids who are kind of considering the same thing about what it's going to take? The only thing I could say to it is if a thing comes out to like anything comes out to like that, for one, I didn't know that story came out, so this is the first time I'm hearing that. And two, let your game speak for itself. That's all I got to say. It shouldn't matter. Like I always say, your sexuality should have nothing to do with your ability. So if that's a problem, let your game speak for itself. That's all I have to say on it. And last thing, uh, this system is totally different now even from what it probably was a couple years ago when you got in. There's so much talent in there now. And guys, especially who are kind of at the, the upper levels, I mean, the Brad Phillips and Domingo Santana's and all those guys, but it's been really reshaped pretty quickly. Can you tell there's a different energy? I mean, even just being out here last week before you actually got in town watching some of the inter-squad games and stuff, it seems like guys are really fired up to be a part of it, where I think probably four years ago in this system it was a different story. Does it feel different from the last couple of years um, coming in and getting rolling with guys? Guys this season? Um, I feel like this season guys are just a lot more laid back. Mm-hmm. I feel like this season guys are just really honing in on their craft huh. instead of pressing so much. And I feel like it's shifting when it comes to spring training. Instead of guys thinking, I need to do this, I need to do that, they're just focusing on what they know what they're doing and they're perfecting it yeah. and going from there. And I think that's how it should be. Like, focus on your craft, focus on what you're good at, and perfect it, and then nobody can say anything from there. David Denson is on Twitter. He is at underscore David D underscore 41. The people with the underscores at the start of the handle always throw me off. I, I don't know what the thought is there exactly, but, you know, that's that's something to ask David. Sure, he uh, could have gone with just David D 41. Yeah, well, you know. I don't know. He's, he's younger than we are, so it's, That's some, true. Something, with it's the kids. something cool with the kids these days. Yeah. Uh, so go give David a follow on Twitter, and uh, really, really cool kid to talk to. A very impressive worldview and maturity for, for somebody his age. And do not sleep on David Denson. He's more than likely headed to Wisconsin to start this season, but in my mind, that kid's going to blow up this year because he does not have the mental stress that he had going into 2015 weighing on him going into 2016. Uh, and like you heard, he talked about really tried to hone in his approach offensively this offseason um, and l- learn about what he should be looking for as a power guy, as a run producer, to be able to be aggressive and be that big bat that the Brewers knew they were getting uh, when they took him in the 19th round back in 2013. So uh, keep an eye on David this summer. Uh, We'll transition out of a guy who was kind of a mid-round draft pick to a guy who was basically as high as draft picks can get. Colorado Rockies camp last week got a chance to catch up with top overall draft talent and third overall draft selection Brendan Rodgers, who last season uh, got his professional debut uh, at the rookie level in the Pioneer League in the Colorado Rockies organization um, and is, if you will recall, not the former Liverpool head coach. Wasn't he that wasn't it no. Liverpool's manager? He was Liverpool. Well, yeah, there was a him. Brendan Rogers who was <laughs> Liverpool's manager. And, and when that one no got longer. fired, Brendan yeah. Rogers, the baseball player had to tweet 
I'm not the Liverpool manager in all caps with a bunch of exclamation points. I would love the third overall pick this year to be named Jurgen Klopp, the current <laughs> Liverpool manager. But I feel like that's fairly unlikely. That's probably not going to happen, sadly. Uh, but Brendan Rodgers, the baseball player, last year 37 games with rookie level Grand Junction, slash 273, 340, 420, and the majority of that uh, really came in the second half. Really struggled in his start to pro ball, dealt with some nagging injuries throughout, and then still put up a pretty impressive line at the end of the season. But Brendan Rodgers, another really impressively mature kid um, at just coming into this season, 19 years old. I said he was 18 earlier in the show, uh, but got a chance to talk to Brendan Rodgers uh, coming off of what was very much a roller coaster rookie season and get an idea of what he's looking forward to here in 2016. I know instructs are kind of similar to this, but how's, uh, how's first spring training feel like? Great. Just go off to a good start. Um, body feels good. I'm just ready to get the season going. You had such a long year last year, and it was mm-hmm. like, get done with the season, sit around, take grounders, take BP, like do what you can to stay in shape, yeah. but then... You know, you're going to New York, you're on MLB Network, mm-hmm. you're working out for scouts, doing private workouts, whatever it is. And then by the end of the season, were you just exhausted? Like, how do you handle getting into pro ball after waiting around for so long? It was tough to tough to get back going again, you know, but they gave me they gave me those two weeks off before the season started. So I didn't get, really, get to really, like, see live pitching uh-huh. or anything. So my season ended April 20th, so and I didn't get a first start till June something, so... I had a little time off to just, you know, hang out and not hang out, but yeah. kind of get back in the Definitely. in the feel of the game. So, But, I mean, I think it'll, it'll be different this year. Get Just start off strong and Absolutely. hopefully just finish strong. I mean, hopefully you'll have a good year, stay healthy is the biggest part, and hopefully everything goes well. That's what you did last year. I mean, you came on so hot in the second half of that season with Grand Junction. Is it mm-hmm. kind of, you know, equivalent to just getting your legs under you at that point where especially once you get in and the Pioneer League is such a nightmare because you're riding yeah, buses for 10 hours right. a night. Was that kind of, you know, once you got that adjustment period out of the way? Yeah, it's just pretty much like Sanders and Lee would always tell me, just getting your feet wet your yeah. first pro season. So, I mean, it'll be different this year, like I said. Shorter bus rides, hopefully. Um, and that was just getting used to travel playing every day everything like that was just i had to get used to so yeah and now i'm getting used or i was and now i'm used to it so used to it so when you uh step into a camp like this and i mean obviously you were here doing work and instructs and your off season sounds like talking with zach sounds like your off season was great and all that what's the biggest thing day to day now that you're either working on or that you're just trying to get acclimated to is it just kind of getting back in the routine of being out here every day and and busting your ass from you know Mm -hmm. under 80 degree sun and working from seven o'clock in the morning whatever it is it's pretty much just i mean seeing seeing pitches like like i've only seen we've only had two two live bps okay till now so now i'm seeing like live game action you know and just kind of seeing pitches getting my timing down and stuff like that and hopefully be be ready for the season when it starts you guys uh, had such a talented roster last year. I mean, you get to come in with Tyler on one side of you mm-hmm. and, and Mike Nickrax on that team, Peter Lambert's on that team. To come in with a bunch of guys who are kind of in the same boat, I mean, a bunch of fellow high school guys. How much does that help when, you know, there are people who are going through it at the same time as you and you can all bounce things off of each other? It's good to have a lot of young young, young bucks on the team, yeah. including me. And just you kind of pick their brain. Even the young guys pick their brains, pick the older guys' brains, just how, how things work and stuff like that. And we all we all did, had a pretty good year and just hopefully carries over to this year we all get to play together and hopefully we all have a good healthy season two more things for you man this uh feels like a really really good energy level this camp yeah. at a bunch of different complexes this week and 
inter-squad games, not like dugouts that. aren't exploding yeah. and like guys are cheering and going nuts and stuff. How much fun is that for you guys? And secondly, I mean, the, the culture that's being built here right now where it feels like there's a really good group all coming up together mm-hmm. and you guys are mingling with the big league guys. Big league guys are out here and I mean, it's all kind of one in the same mission. Um, how exciting is that for you to, to kind of be a part of that and really be a part of the genesis of that? It's definitely, we definitely have a lot of team chemistry, especially most of these guys are from Junction and Boise, so yeah. we're all we're all getting to know each other and play as a team and play with that that high energy. And I mean, we don't really give give it much less and high 110 percent every day. So I mean, we're all gonna take it take it take it seriously and even even inter squad. So. Last thing for you, when you approach a season, uh, and I guess you know this this story could change a year from now or two years from now, or however, as you get deeper into a career, do you set personal goals for yourself? Do you set like I want to I want to see some time at this level? I want to make sure that I'm you know accomplishing this. I want to have this many whatever. Do you do that stuff, or is it just kind of get in, feel healthy, start strong, get on a roll? It's, it's like what you just said. You just got to feel. You just got to feel good about yourself. Have some confidence going into the year, um, and just just have. I mean. My goals, pretty much this year, are to, my main goal is to stay healthy. I mean, usually when I'm when I'm healthy, I will play a lot better than with nagging injuries or yeah. stuff like that. So, and just staying healthy and playing playing all, with everything I got every day. Brendan Rogers is on Twitter as well, and he's one of the Twitter handles that I hate giving out, but it's B R O and then five D's and number three. It's not as bad as Henry Owens used to be. N- not quite, but. I don't know where the five D's come from either. either. So, it's easy to find so. it when you search, though. Just type in B R O D and then just keep typing D and it'll bring. Yeah, it up. and then it'll show up. He's got a blue check mark, so we actually yeah. know it's him. So we know it's him. That's I true. guess that's nice. Uh, so you can go give Brendan a follow on Twitter as well. But really impressed with uh, with how Brendan Rodgers seems to be approaching this year, and that's kind of what you heard about him coming into the draft. That this is a kid who, you know, he is a baseball rat, quote unquote, and he's not going to be phased by a year that's. Uh, somewhat up and down like i asked him in that first question i mean it's a guy who was done with his minor or with his uh his high school season in april and then didn't really get to play baseball for two months so that's gonna weigh on anybody when you have that stutter start of getting ready for showcases and travel ball and a high school season then all of a sudden you're done you're just taking grounders and bp then you got to go back to 110 percent every day playing uh, at the professional ranks so Again, another guy who could be primed for a big 2016 season. Uh, And that'll do it for our conversations from the Cactus League here for episode number 50 of the show before the show. Coming up next, back to the New York offices and one Benjamin Hill to discuss the latest and greatest in the world of minor league baseball business. Ben's Biz coming up next. ever and ever closer to the day when uh, we're going to have actual promos to talk about for the 2016 season that have like come and gone. Benjamin Hill joins the show for this week's edition. Hey, Ben. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Sam. Good Hello. to be here. It's good to have you back. It's been a while. feels like it's been yeah, well, a while. Well, just to correct you there, I never left. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I always like that like on TV when uh, I think it's Brent Musburger always says when you come back referring to the audience the audience isn't going anywhere they're sitting at home watching you on tv you're the ones taking the coverage away but meanwhile brent musburger is not going anywhere from where he is when he says uh exactly. to come back exactly oh well yeah that's true <laughs> anyway we all are right i don't know yeah. <laughs> hey ben ben yeah happy uh, st patrick's day hey yeah happy st patrick's day what is the, what is the green situation in the office today uh it's not very green um i decided to wear a cubic zirconia ring okay you know, a uh, sham rock. 
Oh. No. <laughs> My dog is giving me a very perplexed look at that joke. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that one. Uh, that's good, though. I had, not, I had not heard that before. Um, just made it up on the spot just for you. That is solid. What's uh? Are, are you into the into? We haven't. The weird thing about St. Patrick's Day, it's one of those holidays that the major league teams take advantage of. Um, you know, like throughout the minor league season, like anything that's a holiday, there's a billion teams now to celebrate Christmas in July. But the major leagues team do St. Patrick's Day with the green hats and the green jerseys in spring training. It's kind of weird. We don't see. I feel like we don't see a ton of spring training, uh, St. Patrick's Day related minor league stuff. Yeah, well, you know, they're not going to wear green uniforms on some backfield complex. And <laughs> I think, yeah, the minor leagues capitalize on every holiday in an offseason or have an offseason holiday in the season. But I think with focus attention, with all the focus on spring training on the major league side, with, you know, March Madness starting today, with them gearing up for their own seasons, I think St. Patrick's Day gets a little lost in the minor league world. But some teams do the, you know, the halfway to St. Patty's Day kind of late summer kind of promo and have green beer and corned beef and cabbage and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I think minor league teams should up their St. Patty's game. It's not very represented. Well, at least we're doing it in a, uh, a holiday spirit for this edition of Ben's biz banter. And uh, we're going to start things off with some ballpark news from Florida. There is a new spring training facility going up in West Palm beach, which will be the spring home of the Washington nationals and the Houston Astros. Uh, there are a lot of interesting things already going on with that ballpark, including the fact that they are digging up uh, a 60 to 70 year old landfill under the construction site. So evidently the construction site itself smells just horrid, but uh, they say they haven't gotten any complaints from anybody around the site. So there's a positive, but what does this mean, Ben, for minor league baseball? Because it's a spring training facility. Both of those teams want and need. But as of right now, neither of those teams possesses an affiliate in the Florida State League. Is there any discussion of the impact that this could have on that league, which is a league that at times can struggle to draw fans, uh, but is a very crucial league in player development as a, an advanced day league? Yeah, there's no official discussion on it because a lot of this would tie into, you know, player development contracts and team relocations. Um, so there's no official word on it at all. But just as a minor league observer, you have to think a new dual facility goes up in Florida and the Florida State League is built around hosting minor league teams in spring training complexes. You have to think down the line that it may host Florida State League baseball, but there's nothing official on that front yet. Um the ballpark of the West Palm Beaches, which is going to open in 2017, is going to host the Nationals and the Astros for spring training. The Nationals currently have their Class A affiliate in Potomac, which is very close to uh, Washington, D.C. The Astros currently have their Class A advanced affiliate in uh, Lancaster, which is not so close to Houston. Um, then meanwhile, the Nationals currently train at Space Coast Stadium, and this is their last season having spring training at Space Coast Stadium. And that is also the home of the Brevard County Manatees in the Florida State League, who are a Brewers affiliate. But after the Nationals are done training at Space Coast Stadium, the Manatees will come in. It'll be business as usual. But then sometime after the season, a new tenant is supposed to take over the lease at Space Coast Stadium. And that's a, a youth sports organization. And it appears they won't have room for the Manatees at Space Coast Stadium. So then it becomes what happens to the Brevard County Manatees. And... Is that conundrum solved by bringing a Florida State League team to this new ballpark being built at the uh, the ballpark of uh, in West Palm Beach? 
So there's a lot of moving parts and nothing official. It's uh, you know just something to speculate right now. But I think uh, you know minor league observers are certainly observing because when you're observer, that's all there is to do. And how much effect would this have on the other leagues? Would, would it just be as simple as the Brewers moving over? Would it have to be one of the Nationals or the Astros affiliates? What kind of domino effect would this have potentially? Well, you'd like to th- you'd think that ideally, in the same way that Roger Dean Stadium hosts the Cardinals and Marlins for spring training and, and has each of their Class A advanced affiliates uh, play in the Florida State League during the regular season. You have to think that in a perfect world, the Nationals and Astros would want their Class A advanced affiliate in that facility as well. Uh, there's not room in the league for both of that, and there's not too much room for movement in the league because there's 12 teams in the Florida State League, and nine are already owned by the Major League Club, and 11 of them already play in um, – in a uh, existing Grapefruit League spring training facility. So there's really not too many options in terms of uh, how that league could maneuver. Um, so there's a, a lot of moving parts right now. Uh, if I had to guess, the Brewers, who are the um, parent club of the Manatees, will, might be forced out of the Florida State League in lieu of the Astros or Nationals trying to get their affiliate into the ballpark of West Palm Beach. But Again, it's it's uh, too early to tell this stuff, but just a, a lot of moving parts down there in Florida right now, and then uh, other potential issues that that are not as far down the line, such as the Toronto Blue Jays, which have been in Dunedin since 1990. Uh, they really want to replace Florida Auto, Auto Exchange Stadium, which also hosts their Class A advanced affiliate. So there might uh, agitation for a new ballpark for uh, Toronto as well. Um, they're trying to do it in Dunedin first, but if that doesn't work, they'll explore all options. The Braves want out of their current situation. Maybe a Blue Jays-Braves dual facility down the line is something that might be talked about. Uh, like everything else in minor league baseball, um, just a, a lot of moving parts and uh, just kind of something to keep an eye on as the, as the year progresses. Yeah, those dominoes uh, are constantly falling. And that level always seems like it's kind of in flux, maybe even more than others because of ballpark situations that dictate that. And there's always the discussion of what's going on in the California League. There's a situation right now between the High Desert Mavericks and the city of Adelanto, California, of course. And Bakersfield is always up for discussion. So keep an eye on the high A circuits because uh, they could look considerably different, I would imagine, in the next few years than they do today. Uh, ben, let's move along to uh, the AA Eastern League where the Harrisburg Senators have one up the Miami Marlins in bobbleheads. Marlins have like a billion normal-sized ones, and the Senators are opening up what would ima- I, I would think would be a sweet setting for a horror movie one day. Tell us about the Bobblehead Hall of Fame of life-size bobbleheads. Yeah, the Harrisburg Senators are opening up this season the life-size bobblehead Hall of Fame. And this is not a Hall of Fame for bobbleheads, like pre-existing bobbleheads. They are making their team Hall of Fame, honoring the best players in their franchise history via life-size bobbleheads of all of their Hall of Fame uh, um, inductees. And I think that's just a great idea because a lot of teams have team Hall of Fames, and usually it's just a plaque on a concourse wall or something like that, and that's great. And if you're history-minded, it's a cool thing to walk by and check out. But it doesn't really capture the attention of the average fan, which, as we know, is you know the families and maybe not the biggest baseball fans in minor league baseball as much as people looking for entertainment. So how do you connect the history of the franchise to the great players that have come through and really sell that story to the fans? Well, with something eye-catching, with something that's going to appeal to everyone and at a life-size bobblehead, I think we'll really do that. I think this is an idea that other teams will probably end up emulating. So the first 
uh, inductee into the life-size bobblehead Hall of Fame in Harrisburg is going to be Vlad Guerrero, and he's actually going to attend his induction ceremony on April 16th, which will include the unveiling of his life-size bobblehead. So just like a really cool promotion there. And then later in the season, they're going to be inducting uh, Cliff Floyd. And uh, there's one more. Who's the other guy? Bryce Harper. You might have heard of him. That's a good trifecta. Yeah, good trifecta. Life-size bobbleheads, Harrisburg Senators Hall of Fame, Cliff Floyd, Bryce Harper. And on April 16th, to kick it all off, Vlad Guerrero. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm always looking for teams that are doing things that really uh, might catch on elsewhere around the industry and across the country. And I think a life-size bobblehead Hall of Fame is a really decent approach to one's Hall of Fame to uh, really attract attention to it. And um, so here's the Senators. Good idea, guys. And how exactly big is a life-size bobblehead? Are we talking like six feet tall, like the height of Vlad Guerrero, or are we talking like eight feet to really stick out on a concourse? You know, I don't know that. I haven't reached out to the team to get specifically, but if you say life-size, I would say it has to resemble the size one is in real life. I don't know if they're uh, looking specifically at Vlad Guerrero's, you know, height and weight and trying to get as exact as possible (laughs) and head, yeah. And uh, bobbleheads are traditionally quite out of proportion to a normal body, so it might not be life-size as we would look at a normal human. These are very important questions, and they will be answered, but not by me, <laughs> not now. Eventually, Eventually. At a date and time to be determined. Exactly. Um, ben, we have a, uh, a very special announcement to make regarding a special edition of a special show before the show. A lot of special things. Um, minor league baseball teams are very uh, thematic and very musical. And you came up with an idea for a show that we're really excited about that we're probably going to roll out next week uh, regarding minor league team songs. Explain to the good people what you have, uh, the rabbit hole that you have dived down over the last uh, couple of weeks or so in compiling uh, what is now probably the world's largest library of minor league baseball team songs. Yeah, I'm not sure if it is or not, uh, but I have a lot of minor league theme songs and jingles, you know, meaning the songs that teams usually commission um, from local musicians or ad agencies or what have you um, that are played at the ballpark and, uh, you know, is bumper music during the radio broadcasts and, and in all sorts of ways. But I think we've all heard these types of songs before. They're about the team in question and uh, usually very enthusiastic and uh, have kind of very enthusiastic singers who uh, kind of overemphasize all their words and, you know, it's affordable, family friendly entertainment. <laughs> Get to the ballpark, crack jacks, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that basically is every song. They're hilarious. Really is. They're hilarious, and you're right. It's a rabbit hole. And once I started researching this, teams, you know, I put it out on Twitter, and you know, one thing led to another, and teams were contacting me. I was contacting them. I was getting backstories of various songs. So we're gonna have an all minor league baseball team theme songs episode of the podcast. With uh, I put together a playlist yesterday. It's probably got about 20 different tracks. You know, I had to do some cutting, uh, a few interviews. Uh, surrounding some of the more interesting songs. And we're going to kick it off with the Hartford Yard Goats uh, Eat It Up jingle, which was uh, announced a couple months ago and spurred me to do this. It's an idea I've had for years. I mean, not on the podcast, but to do a blog post or something. And I just never quite got around to it. And, um, you know, this is the ideal forum for it because as opposed to a blog post or an article, which is like a lot of embedded content, this can be a real-time thing. And I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So minor league baseball team theme songs, special episode of the show before the show coming soon, uh, certainly in the month of March. We 
we live in a world where this word gets thrown around too much, but the Hartford Yard Goat song is epic. That is an epic dive into they went for like let's go with a cheesy 80s sound but let's also make it fitting with the identity that the yard goats have created and that it's just ridiculous and awesome um so yeah, that one that's gonna eat it up off. eat it up eat it up <laughs> yeah also i worked uh in altoona in 2012 as a radio broadcaster i just got um everybody loves curved baseball out of my head like a week ago and so i'm glad that we'll be doing this uh, with with that song included, and I'll get to experience another four years of it. It's it's awesome. Baseball. <laughs> Everybody loves curved baseball. Oh, man. That's, and I need to get the backstory of that one again because I remember it being very weird. Yes, yeah, no. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. But I guess instead of me singing snippets of songs, it'll be a lot better when we play them. <laughs> Stay tuned. And then Benjamin you can Hill. play them over and over again themselves on the podcast. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. You guys can do Hopefully all of your own downloads. rewinding. You can send yourselves to the loony bin. Uh, by by subjecting yourselves constantly to the same played jingles over and over and over. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz there. You can also follow the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, and uh, more stuff coming up to the site as well. And, uh, yeah, later this month, get set for the uh, the MILB team song edition of the podcast, and we're excited for that one. Ben, we'll do it soon. Yeah, we will. Opening day is coming up, and I think there's so much to talk about, but, you know, i got to put some uh, travel itineraries together. Yeah, too, you so do have to do that. We're going to be talking about that in the very near future as well. Good. Very good. Uh, well, we'll look forward to that as well. And, uh, again, go give Ben a follow on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, Ben. All right. Happy St. Patty's Day. Hey, you too. Thank you. Wrapping up the milestone 50th edition of the show before the show podcast. Again, Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. Very glad that we got his final thank you in there. The <laughs> as well as the pause. The pause. <laughs> you, the, so it really made it. Yeah, thank you is just being polite, but the pause made that moment what it was. The real emphasis. Um, just as a side note, none of us have 14-year-old children, but Sam, if I worked in the office and you had a 14-year-old son uh, a la Drake LaRoche that you brought in every day. 14-year-olds are like the most annoying people on earth. <laughs> <laughs> I only say it because it just popped up in my Twitter feed, but Drake LaRoche, I saw him walking around in the clubhouse uh, last week in White Sox camp, and then yesterday I'm like out, I'm driving around, I'm at Cubs camp, I'm at Brewers camp, I'm at Royals camp. That's another story I got coming up, talked with uh, Martin Gasparini, the Italian-born prospect in the Royals organization, and everybody on baseball Twitter is freaking out about Drake LaRoche. Yeah. And, uh, that was a weird one. Yeah, it's just like it, I don't know. I really don't know how to feel about it because I don't know the individual situation. I don't like everybody was making good points in that you know you don't just bring your fourteen year old to work every else. day. Yeah, but at the same time, it's also a different atmosphere in a club. Like it's just a clubhouse. Yeah, like, true. You know, he, he sounds like he was very respectful. He was just kind of around, just taking things in, and was helpful. And you know, some guys liked it. Others probably didn't because they didn't like this kid just hanging around while they're changing and stuff. And, you know, the, um, so I don't know. You know, it, it, I, I, I can see both sides. I, I hate to be a centrist, but I, I can see both sides. <laughs> this is America in 2016, Sam. We don't have any room for your logic. Yeah, there are no centrists. Your well-measured thoughts. Uh, yeah, no, I am just of the opinion that I, too, was once a 14-year-old teenage boy. And 14-year-old teenage boys are just awful. They're just, <laughs> they're just the worst. They shouldn't be allowed anywhere. Should be allowed out of the house. Yeah, but if they're under supervision of their father, true, 
It might be a slightly different atmosphere. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Teenagers. So. We have a big teenage following in the podcast, I'm sure. Uh, so anyway, there's our takes on the whole <laughs> on the whole hashtag free Drake LaRoche fiasco. Uh, so that's going to do it for the 50th edition of the show. Coming up to MILB.com. Uh, Sam Dykstra names the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim the top minor league system in baseball next week, I heard. Yeah, let's not tease it that way. <laughs> I mean, I, I, re- I respected their their thoughts and your story the other day. Of, you know, they they have pieces in their system, and they can o- hopefully build on those pieces. Uh, but Damn. they're not at the top. That's how I'm going to tease that. They are not at the top. Where else are they going to fall in the 29 other spots? Who knows? You'll have to read on Monday. But uh, yeah. overall farm system rankings. That's the overall story. farm system Coming up on Monday. Yep, that's gonna be good. I'm excited. Angels not at the top. Everything else you can. You can find. <laughs> that's the one certainty. Everything yeah. else is fluid, but that will not be number one. Right. Probably a handful of other systems you could guess will not be number one either. Uh, so keep an eye out for that on milb.com as well. Um, and I've got uh, like a teased earlier story coming up on the Venezuelan Summer League, and uh, we'll have some good stuff between now and next week. And we will also get to our special edition of the show before the show podcast, uh, which will be all about minor league team songs with Benjamin Hill. That's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to put together. So uh, be on the lookout for that as well. That's going to do it. I think that wraps us up 50 shows, 50 shows Should have done that's, a clip show. Good. Should have made it like a Simpsons anniversary. Ah, uh, well, that's okay. We did. Wait. We did it the, the right way. We did. The we right podcasted way. the right way. Hashtag the right way podcasting the game the right way yeah. uh give sam a follow he's on twitter at sam dykes or m-i-l-b i am there as well i am at tyler mon and minor league baseball is at m-i-l-b also rate review and subscribe to the show before the show on itunes we forgot to tell you to do that earlier on uh but give us a uh, a rating and a review and a subscription there we're still climbing the podcast charts uh even jake signer former host of the show before the show podcast when we were texting the other day said uh that he had noticed that he was searching for baseball podcasts and saw us pretty high up in the ranking so give us a uh, a rating and a review and a subscription and uh yeah we'll do it again next week talk to you then yes, we will. number 51 51 the, the second 50 the randy johnson edition there we go. Talk to you then. Break the heat. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.